You have always been exactly the right good enough mom for your kids. And today we're going to talk about what our brains did in the first three years of our kids' life and why that matters. Let's keep calm and mother on. Mothering is way too important to do alone and way too serious to be serious all the time. My name is Christy Thomas, and I am here shoulder to shoulder with you, mothering and enjoying life together. This is the podcast where you can focus on being mindful and taking a deep breath with me and learning new things so you can pause and savor the amazing life you already have. Every once in a while, you find a book that you really wish everyone on the whole planet would read. And while this book is for people before birth, like pregnancy, and probably birth to age three, I wish that this book would be read by every human who ever interacts with a child or a person who was formerly a child. So if you can hint, get that right. I think everyone should read this book because it breaks down the idea of why we need nurture, why we need to treat ourselves with compassion and mindfulness and empathy and how to do it because of our brains and why to do it because of our brains. There's a lot of talk nowadays about stress levels and and trauma, big T and little T, and all those things are important to know about. But (laughs) this book, The Nurture Revolution by Greer Kirschenbaum, really reinforces the idea of how to take care of your nervous system. And she's writing it at a time to the audience, a parent parenting a baby. And if you've done that, you know that that is a high alert time for your nervous system. So this is such a good book for everybody because the unique challenges of sleep deprivation and parenting someone who literally can't tell you what's wrong you need this book. And I can't wait to talk to Greer about it. I think I'm going to give this to every mom that I know with kids under the age of three. Like it's that good, but really everyone needs to either listen to it or read it. Um, I've done both. Okay, there we go. Let's get started with this interview. Okay, I have to say, this is a total fangirl moment. I am so excited to have Greer Kirschenbaum on my podcast. She just wrote the book, The Nurture Revolution. And even though my kids are 17, 15, and 10, I got so much out of this book. And I am so glad you wrote it. Thank you for writing it. Thank you. Thank you so much. And I'm so happy you could see that part as well, because a lot of people ask, is it, you know, what's the age limit? And, you know, that's my answer. It's, you know, aimed for, you know, pregnancy to about age three. Right. But it, the principles really apply to kids of every age, including adults. Right. So okay. when I was telling someone, I was like, well, if you know a child or know someone who was a child, you really should read this book. <laughs> Thank you. Because it's really all about the brain and nervous system regulation. And trying to Google that online gets really confusing really fast. Mm -hmm. Yes, absolutely. I, I took, you know... 15 plus years of reading articles. (laughs) Because what is your degree officially in, Greer? You're a PhD of what? 
Yeah, so I have a PhD in medical science and neuroscience. Wow. Uh, <laughs> yeah, and it was, you know, hundreds, uh, hundreds of articles that I had read over those many years that yeah. I synthesized, right, into, into a book for parents and professionals, which is tremendous. I, my uncle asked me recently, he's like, wait, did you, re- did you read all those papers as you're writing the book? I was like, I just know them because they're your oxygen. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. They're the seed. They're the soil that you've planted your seed in with all these hours and hours and hours. And you are a mom. So not only have you studied all of this, but you've also kind of lived it. Like you have one lived experience so far with one child, right? Yeah, absolutely. I felt like my experience being a baby really contributed and then and also prepared me kind of reflecting on having my own child Uh and yes absolutely having my own child just brought it all to life right like like all those you know somatic experiences emotional experiences were yeah i was observing all of those so let's dig in we know that babies change so fast right from the moment they're born from the moment we pee on the stick and find out we're pregnant like they're changing nonstop. but then we don't always consider how our bodies are changing especially our brains in a relationship to re- in relationship to relationships. So tell me a little bit about how a baby brain starts and then we'll talk about the parent brain. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So yes, the baby's brain starts to develop all throughout pregnancy, right? It's, it is miraculous. You can kind of look into that unbelievably complex. You know, I always think my husband and I, when we would look at it, our, my son, we're like, how did his fingernail develop? Yeah, like, how did that there's happen? just so much oh, awe yeah. and wonder. Absolutely, I still feel that you know when I when I look at my son. But but the experiences of the baby brain are very integral to its development. So so baby brain and body, you know, is always being directed by both genetics and experience. And in terms of the brain, it's really an intermingling of those two things. And so the genetics that our babies experience that guide their brain development, we, we can't really influence. They're, they're okay. There. And that would be what people call nature? Yes. Okay. Exactly. So that would be both the genetic code that we inherit from our parents, biological parents, and also epigenetic. Experience. Yeah. And this was like mind blowing to me to tie that in. It is. It, that was one of the most explosive and exciting areas of research that sort of came out through my research career. And and that's, you know, still un, un, unraveling. Uh-huh. Right? We still have a lot of mysteries there. But we do know that we, you know, babies do inherit certain experiences, especially in the stress system and emotional system from, from genetic marks as well. So we're the experiences of people who came before us leave marks in our DNA that then get passed down. And then, so that's about 50% of what's shaping their brain. And the other 50% are experiences. And so we can have just an enormous influence on their brain development, mental health and physical health with by interacting with those experiences. Okay. So nurture really matters, like how we interact really matters. And how do you define nurture? Mm -hmm. It's a great question. So, I mean, I think the dictionary definition is to 
you know, pay attention to the growth and development of someone or something. Mm-hmm. And my definition builds on that. And I really feel it's a both emotional and physical relationship with a baby, an intentional relationship yeah. where you bring your presence, you bring your curiosity, and you're really, really, you know, noticing what's coming up for the baby and responding as best you can. You okay. Know, and if someone's listening to this, when we talk about these strategies in your book, are they limited only birth to three or are some of these things like things we can do forever with the relationships that we're in? Yeah. Great question. They are absolutely things we can do forever. The way it impacts the brain is different. Okay. Based on ages. So the zero to three years range is when really the foundation of our emotional systems, our neurotransmitter systems, and at all the parts of our brain and body that make up our mental health are mm-hmm. formed. So really the foundation is being formed during those three years. Okay. Those areas get re, sort of re-enter a, a place of plasticity of, of able to be sort of reshaped again, highly in adolescence again. Okay. So that's my house right now. <laughs> yeah, 14 kind of range. Huh? And then again, when we're parents. Okay. okay. And how long is that window of neuroplasticity when you become a parent? Mm-hmm. So far, we know it's at least two years. Okay. At least it's overlapping with the infancy time. Okay. But the brain changes that happen then are last, like they last a very, very, very okay. long time. You know, it seems like you have that sort of window that's essentially overlapping it with that zero to three. Yeah. And then those changes can last as you go on as well. But even if we do, you know, start practicing nurture outside of those windows. Right. We're not necessarily acting on that, you know, that op- that time of opportunity for really, really quick brain right. shape. But we can act, we can still act on that circuitry in another way, right? So okay. we can always be building on that foundation and sort of, you know, changing what's going on there, even if it's outside. Okay, so if your kid had a rocky start for some reason, or you were in a bad place when you had them and had some mental health crisis yourself or something, you can you can still help the nurture wiring for both you and your child. Yes, completely, completely. And I think we know this more on, from like a psychology yeah. kind of standpoint, right? And, and, and people's stories. The neuroscience on that, is still unraveling yeah. as well. I mean, it's just such an exploding new, like we get to see inside the brain in new ways every day because of technology, right? Completely, yes. The imaging that's come, that, you know, that's coming is incredible. I, I can't wait. <laughs> yeah, it's going to be amazing. I hope that the, the, the book and all of these kinds of questions kind of prompt some of the labs that yeah. to, to look at it further. But we do, we absolutely know that, you know, so many of us do have a rocky start. Yeah so unsupported right I mean I'll say my personal window into motherhood I moved cross country when I was 36 weeks pregnant and then I knew no one besides my spouse yes yes so much so much to yeah so like it was me and him and (laughs) this brand new baby for the first time and that's overwhelming and there's a lot of needs for everybody Completely. I think we're just also at the beginning of sort of 
understanding that too, because a lot of mothers are now speaking up yeah. in a really wonderful way and saying, you know, I have so many things that I need, right? And mm-hmm. no one is giving it to me. So that's pretty common experience, right? And even if we are supported to an extent, we right. still really need tons of nurturing as new parents, right? And so, so many of us do have a, you know, a rocky start and, and to just know it's absolutely never too late to do, you know, to incorporate nurture into parenting. Fantastic. And a lot of the ways that you nurture parenting, I loved how you talked about when a baby has big feelings to like, there was a whole process. Do you remember that process about like the feel name or need? Can you walk us through that? Yeah, absolutely. So this is a really important sort of research area. I learned from Arietta Slade at Yale University. This is based on her work, and she calls it parental reflective functioning. Okay. And so reflective functioning also is another topic, but for parents, it's yeah. this is the way that they teach it. And so essentially, our baby's doing a behavior, right? This happens yeah. all the time. They're throwing something, they're hitting something. Yeah, just know. something, right? The spiatis on the floor or the ceiling or awake at 3 a.m. and you can't deal with it. Yeah. Exactly. They're crying, they're whining, they're, you know, something, right? Mm-hmm. And so, so often the, you know, way that we've approached it in sort of what I would say low nurturing way yeah. is to just go at that behavior. Like you threw something, I don't like that stop. If you stop, I'll give you a reward. If you yeah. do it again, I'll give you, you know, a punishment of some kind, right? And so that's, so, you no, know, so moving away from that, we can now know that inside of us and our babies, we have an internal world that's full of feelings, emotions, thoughts, sensations, and moving away from that other model, which is really a behaviorist model, yeah. which is there's a behavior I don't like, reward it or punish it. This is um, a way more inc- like sort of nuanced approach where we're really curious about that internal world okay. of a and of a parent. And so when we see a behavior, we can think, hmm, I'm going to be curious for a second. Let's wonder. Yeah. You know, what, what emotion might be underlying this behavior? And then what need might be underlying that emotion? And so let's pretend, you know, our baby throws something, as yeah. an example, in an angry way. We can say, hmm, I'm wondering if you're feeling angry or frustrated right now. And what might you be needing? You yeah. know, what is that emotion telling us that you're needing? And maybe that's, you know, a little bit less stimulation. Maybe that's a hug. Right. Maybe that's you know, an explanation of sharing or whatever, <laughs> right? So, that, yeah, I always orient parents to that. So look, thinking about there's a behavior, let's be curious, what's the emotion going on uh-huh. and what's the need going on? And if we meet that need, uh-huh. then, you know, address it in a much more yeah. And is there an age where this is too young for a parent to think about? Or I say no. I would start it very early started with a newborn and it's more it's both for the baby to like hear it a lot uh-huh but a really lot for the parents yes exactly <laughs> it's for us to practice because this is foreign for so many of us it's a whole new approach. oh yeah how many babies did you help take care of from the very beginning 
Like yeah. I babysat a lot, but not newborns. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I went as a, you know, I babysat a lot of like cousins and stuff. Uh-huh. And, you know, I didn't know any of this. <laughs> exactly. As a doula, I, I worked with a lot of parents and, and it's, it's lovely to see how babies respond, right? Yes. Yeah. As well. Um, and it's really regulating for parents too, which is really important. So it's good practice right. for us. The baby's going to start to understand more and more and more as they get older. Yeah. And really good for us because, you know, your baby throws something, you might become reactive and right. say, oh, that behavior is so bad. I don't like that behavior. And, but if we can take us a, a minute to pause and say, oh, they're so sad right now. Yeah. They're so devastated right now. That give, you know, activates our empathy mm-hmm. and really helps regulate us and help us show up for them in the way that we want to. Right. And I think the key part of this is part of the myths that you're busting in your book as you talk about this is that babies are born full humans from the get go, right? They're not a blank slate. Like there's all sorts of old outdated ideas that get passed around still about development. And so one is that babies are wonderful. Like just from the start, they're already thinking and feeling. We just aren't inside of them to know what it is. Completely. I mean, right from birth. It's uh, that's so amazing to me. Yeah, and is and the difference is amazing, right? So I, I attended a lot of births as a birth doula, and prepared you know so many parents for this, and you really see the difference when people are, you know, kind of going through the old script. Right. Of, Here's the baby. Let's wrap this them is a up, blob. <laughs> pass them around. Yeah. So the person, the mom, the person who gave birth is like, "Where's the baby?" The whole family comes in, and versus you know, a month, and that can happen, of course, yeah. time. But versus like a family who's really incorporating the nurturing, yeah, principles, and they just have this like lovely eye contact, connection, communication with the baby. Baby's already mimicking facial expressions, already taking them in. Right. They're wired for this. Absolutely. It's incredible to see. And so there's a big difference that we kind of touched on there too, is you mentioned low nurture and then we want to probably move towards high nurture, but that's not how, at least in North America, we're, we're accustomed to. We're really a low nurture society, aren't we? Really, really low nurture. Yeah. And it's reflected in, you know, probably most of the medical kind of field that you're going to encounter throughout pregnancy, birth and postpartum. And so I really invite parents to try to bring nurturing professionals into their experience, right? If they can have a a birth doula throughout their pregnancy or childbirth educator. Yeah. A lactation expert, right? So the, the whole field. That I needed all of that support. Yeah. We're really informed of, you know, what babies are needing and what uh-huh. parents are. Yeah. yeah. And so what does, what are some myths that are really common for a low nurture society that you want to just like shatter? We don't have to explain them all because I think they should read your book, but what are the yeah. most common myths that you hear that like tense you up? <laughs> My gosh, I think it is still shocking because just because of the world I'm in now, it's shocking that the spoiling myth is still so, so much. Big. It's wild. It's wild. It's wild. You know, the amount of places that it says you can't spoil a baby. It's impossible. It's impossible. 
parents are still really hearing this from their doctor, from yeah. members, from friends, from social media. It's still really, really out there. And it is completely shocking because we really want to force independence in this low nurture society right like that's the push in a low nurture society we are forcing independence way before a kid is ready and i see that in this birth to three book but i also see it as i raise kids right that are much older and i was like you know just because everyone else is doing those things like we don't have to do it that way at this exact age Completely. I think that's one of the biggest pieces that's missing from society, right? Is that connection, like interconnectedness of people, the way that we need to rely on each other and mm-hmm. help each other. So many of us are really lonely. Yeah. Missing that part. And we can make a change for the next, for the next generation. Is there so. another myth that you would like to shatter? <laughs> spoiling one and then sleep. I'm very passionate about sleep. Oh, good. Tell me about that. There's, yeah, there's so many myths about infant sleep. I think the biggest one is, you know, to be really general, you know, around something like four or six months, that's when babies need to be in their own room, sleeping through the night, sleeping, you know, exactly 7 p.m. to 7 Mm a.m. We have to, you know, do all kinds of things to make that happen, right? That's lots of things that feel uncomfortable for the parent, right? Absolutely. And for, and for the baby. Uh Yeah. It's really, that one really gets me because it really makes parents feel like they're failing or there's something wrong with their baby when everything is just going beautifully. And I, I hope that parents get that information prenatally as soon as possible to really know infant sleep. That is not what normal. Even sleep is such a random experience in my three three walks down that path. <laughs> you have different experiences. Oh, here. totally. <laughs> Absolutely. It is, you know, along with some fertility journeys, infant sleep, I would say, is like one of the most unfair, <laughs> variable, wild, wild experiences. It's amazing how different every single baby is. And so, yeah, so much of my work and so much of the education that I do is helping parents understand what to expect and kind of being flexible, too, because yeah, it's really look different. Absolutely. Yeah. So as you work on parental flexibility, what do you have any practices that can help a mom or dad lean into being able to nurture more? Because a lot of this journey is like, I find myself tensed up. And I remember this early on, especially with newborns, because you can't talk to them. And you're just trying all these things. And you feel lost and overwhelmed and also separated from like the rest of the world in this bubble. Completely, completely. I had a very similar experience as well. And it's a really lonely experience for so many of us, even if we do have people around sometimes. Right, right? yeah. I mean, there's just so much that, I don't know, we just don't talk about what motherhood in that phase looks like besides, aren't they cute? <laughs> or or worse, they're asking about sleep. And you're like, I really don't want to talk about this. Like, I feel like a failure already, and it's not even something I can control. Yes, absolutely. And so much focusing on, like, you know, what's not working versus, you know, the times that are great, too. Yeah. So I think to start out to sort of just say, 
this low nurture culture we're in really is failing us as mothers and fathers and parents. It really, really is. It leaves us isolated. It leaves us usually if we're the primary parent with yeah. all of the mental load. How many diapers do I have in the yep. house? What, what needs to be washed? What is going on? Right. Yeah. Just endless amounts. And so, yes, I remember, I remember this one moment when my son was little, we went on a hike and we were in this beautiful forest. I had uh-huh. him in the carrier. Or my, I think my husband had him in the carrier. And then I was like, similar moment yeah. to what you said. Like, I was like, oh my gosh, my shoulders are up at my yeah. ears. All tense. I'm like, I'm not even holding my baby. I'm in the woods. Like, relax. Right. right? Like all these, the things that used to relax me didn't feel very relaxing early on. Completely. And it has to be so intentional. So, so intentional. Yeah. And I think... I think that's one big, big, big piece for people is to be aware of their stress because we can get, we can spend months or even years Mm -hmm. in this height stress state without knowing. That makes Um, sense to me. (laughs) Yeah. A hundred percent. Right. Like with, yeah. Throughout three, a journey with three children and, and adding that piece of emotional intelligence in Mm -hmm. for us is really, really vital. Right. So just, you know, the baseline of it is awareness, noticing that we're stressed at all, and then having some reg- self-regulation tools that are easy, fast, and, and feel good that we can do throughout the day to manage it is very helpful. Yeah. I wish the answer was like, we can have... I know, like magical unicorn <laughs> smoothies and yeah, but it's not. But part of what I loved about being able to label what the baby might be feeling and the baby's behavior was the awareness of how much we don't even talk about feelings. And so as a new mom, like I remember people asking how I was, but I didn't have like the words to share of like how I was feeling or what potentially my needs were. Cause I only knew what the baby needed next. Cause I was so in tune with them. I only knew that I needed chocolate. And yeah. <laughs> like I remember one time I really needed jello and then I heard the jello lid open in a different room and I wasn't the one eating it. And I was really mad. Like I have this core memory, my poor husband, the red jello when I was nursing a baby, I just was saving it for after. <laughs> hey, yes, yes. So when I discovered Nonviolent communication, which I have included in my book. Yeah. Some of the practices that was so helpful to me and so many of the people I worked with. And essentially it's these lists of feelings we have when our needs are met and feelings we have when our needs are not met. And so many of us, our vocabulary of, of emotions are. Yeah. We know. Sad, happy. Yeah, I was going to say mad, sad, and glad are the ones. Like, yes, and those are the default ones I, I have too, right? Uh-huh. I have like an emotion chart here beside me. I need yeah, to I have, I've had an emotion wheel on my fridge. Like, I've tried for years, and it's still hard. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's, you know, probably something we, you know, you it's a lifelong with. journey, isn't it? Exactly. And there's nothing wrong with using these lists all the time. They really help. They really help. And so, you know, when we're feeling a huge emotion, it's so helpful. Or if we've done a behavior that we're not happy with, right? yeah. the behavior, feelings, needs apply to uh-huh. us too. Yeah. We can take a minute to say, okay, I did this behavior. I don't like, I yelled, Yep. you know, I melted, you know, I did something 
and and then really look at those those lists and say, okay, you know what? I am feeling lonely, isolated, uh-huh. you know, sad, rejected. Yeah. You know? And then the other part that this resource provides is a list of needs. Yeah. And and so often as mothers, there are so many needs. <laughs> So many and fathers, yeah. Right? This is the yeah, whoever the primary caregiver in particular. That's my lived experience. Completely. And I think the secondary caregiver yeah. too, right? I'm sure. Yeah. Too. And then we can look at the needs and say, okay, like I am, I, I probably need connection. Mm-hmm. Like, should I need to probably call my best friend and say, let's go get ice cream and just have fun and laugh, uh-huh. right? We probably aren't doing that very much. Yeah, not uh, enough. Earlier, it's not enough. Absolutely. Or I need movement. You know, mm-hmm. I want to put on a video for ten minutes and stretch my body. So there's so many things there. I created. I think and yes, it is still a free resource on my website. I have like a printout that can walk people through yeah. all of that because that that's so so helpful, right? To you know, both be really curious and interested in our baby's yes. internal world and also ours. And mm-hmm. it's going to be the worst time for many of us. Totally. And I find that the more that I'm aware and conscious and kind to myself about my own behaviors and feelings and needs, the more I respond in a way that's nurturing to my own kids, right? Like I respond to myself nurturing and then that naturally bubbles over in a much smoother fashion. Absolutely. Absolutely. And it, when we, when we're really able to meet our needs, like, and that's hard. Cause that's, yeah. I mean, I think we're always going to have some un- unmet needs, right? Like it's hard to, yes. Always, always. <laughs> right. Um, unless, yes, it, like absolutely. that would be unrealistic. No one should walk away thinking their needs are going to be a hundred percent met all the time. It's I mean, kind it's of like a shifting puzzle. New ones every day, maybe every mm-hmm. hour. But when we can do, you know, a, a okay job yeah, at it, right? Right, it's good like enough. Having that intention, yeah. yeah, good enough. We don't find ourselves in those extremely high levels of stress, right? Light or freeze, right? We can kind of stay in our window of tolerance, and and if we do get up there, we can maybe notice it and and try to try to get back in, yeah. Awesome. Okay. So when I find that I'm in my window of tolerance more and like able to give from the overflow of my self nurturing reserves more, you had four amazing questions that were kind of based on Oprah, kind of based on it's on your website as a download too. I actually referenced it already on a previous podcast episode because I was so excited about them. So can you tell us about your four questions about how to make connection with our kids? Oh, I love these questions. Catherine Schlafer, she has a book out as well. She just created these questions based on uh, conversations between Oprah and Toni Morris and Maya Angelou. And they were talking about their children. <laughs> See the clips online. Yeah. Uh, I think I've heard right. some of the sound bites. Yeah. Yeah. They're very, very, very important. I think about them every day. So the first is to see me. And so many of us. Right. I mean, you get really busy. Yeah. Like if you're hearing these questions and then tensing up because you're like, ah. Yes. I mean, they're important for us and they're important for our children as well. Right. Uh Like, yeah. But however your body responds to these questions, just know like it's a baseline of questions. Like it's not a judgment on if you're a bad parent. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And and they're probably things we want from people. Huh. the next one is, do you care that I'm here? And so we always want to give our 
children, not always, but as best we can. Yeah. Yes to these, right? And and I love starting this in the morning, right? Mm-hmm. I always have a moment with my son every morning. Am I enough for you or do you need me to be better in some way? Mm-hmm. I think this is a big one. So many of us. Especially, I, I'm going to just tag it as like a low nurture society side effect. When we're so focused on production that sometimes being being is not what we're going for. Mm-hmm. Yes, we need to, you know, we all want to be loved for exactly who we are. Yeah. Right. We don't want to be looked at like, oh, I'd love you. You know, I'd kind of <laughs> like if your hair looks better today. I kind of like it if you dress a little bit. Better. Yeah. Uh, I'd like it if you have better grades. I'd like it if you if right. drop off easier in the morning. Right? Yeah. Like, or mom, I liked it if you made this meal all the time. Like the standard goes the other way when they start talking to you. <laughs> Exactly. And actually, I do. I do ask my son that often as well. I say, like, how can I be a better mommy? Yeah, I Um, ask my kids that, too. Like, it's a good reflection because I'm not inside of their thoughts and feelings mm -hmm. as much as I can um, assume that I am sometimes. And then I make really bad choices. (laughs) Yes. And to just be open to what they say. Right. Yeah. They're that they're feeling what they're feeling. And the last one is, can I tell that I'm special to you by the way that you look at me? Yeah. And yeah, that's, it's so important to have those experiences to know that you're someone's best beloved. You're, you know, really, really unconditionally loved and accepted for all your feelings, all your emotions, you know, regardless of the state you're in. I I love this. And and while we nurture our kids, I know there's that magic window of infancy from birth to three. But when we provide these experiences, especially in that window, we're changing how they're going to nurture, right? Yes. Yes. This work is incredible. A lot of it was done by Frances Champagne at Columbia. I, I was a postdoc there and I saw her. I it's did, so I hopeful. Up. It's amazing. It's amazing. Like she's shown the nurturing experiences in this window in infancy. Yeah. They cause epigenetic changes. So they're really changing a baby's DNA. Yeah. And estrogen receptors and oxytocin receptors. And that, you know, increases the chances of them being a high nurturing parent and and, in person. That's so amazing to me. It's amazing. And you think about the, you know, the kind of longer link of the low nurturing. Right. For the past couple hundred years, at least, you know, knowing that we can make such a big change, even into the genetics, yeah, um, influence the future is just so exciting and incredible. Absolutely. Well, I think everyone who knows a child or has been a child should read The Nurture Revolution. So I want to go plug that one more time. And I have a question for you. With all of these practices and all that you're doing and parenting and just living life, how are you taking care of yourself? What's a simple self-care act mm-hmm. that you have? Yeah. It changes for me a lot. Right now, I've been doing a little bit of plant medicine. I've been like harvesting some goldenrod from my area That's and, awesome. and d- drawing it and making teas. And that just helps me to like be outside, yeah. slow down, touch, you know, have that sensory experience and I'm doing it, you know, in a really slow, deliberate kind of way, breathing, yeah. experiencing it. That is a big one for me right now. It's a seasonal one. And hiking is, is kind of my, 
my like core self care awesome. for the past while. So yeah, making sure I get out into the forest. Yeah. At least a few times a week. And do you do that alone or in community? Usually in community. Yeah. Yeah. I do a little walk around my house on my own, yeah. but I have two standing dates people during the week to, yeah, to have, cause then you get all the benefits at once. Right. right yeah. No, like it's an important point. Like I think that when our self care only involves ourselves and not community care, then we're missing an important part. So yeah. that's why I wanted to ask because yeah. I assumed you weren't walking, hiking alone for. Yeah. And I, I, I love it to, you know, I talked to about my, that with my clients as well. Like starting in pregnancy, right? Like yeah. You can do a walk in nature. That means you're having the exposure to nature, which is so good for yeah. your nervous system and the baby. You're moving and yeah. walking. Another incredible thing for your brain and baby's brain. And then you're socializing and supporting another person and they're supporting you. So I think it's one of the best. And yeah. then how are you having fun as a family? Yeah, that's a great question. This year, we've been doing lots of beach time. This Yay! Summer, right? We took a lot of time off, and we got a canoe this year. So we've been paddling some rivers and and having lots of fun doing that. As Have well. you seen really cool wildlife? We saw like a gorgeous turtle the other day. We saw a fox. Yeah, that's another amazing thing about that to really be slow. And yeah, canoes are so quiet. quiet. I loved canoeing with my grandparents as a kid because you got to see things that would startle otherwise. Absolutely. Yeah, we were we've been looking for beavers, but we haven't seen them this year. Um, They're hard to spot. Well, thank you so much for coming on here. What besides the book, you have a website that has some downloadable resources. Can you tell us about that career? Yeah, absolutely. So my website is nurture-neuroscience.com. And I've got lots of free resources, including that one I mentioned about taking care of our emotions and needs, some audio recordings that, awesome. that go on the book. And yeah, lots of lots of fun things there. Excellent. Thank you. And the four questions, if you want to print that out, that's on Greer's website too as a download. So Yeah, I, I recommend that as like a phone screen. You can put it on your oh, phone screen. Oh, that's a good awareness. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> we all need more awareness around that small digital device. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. It could be a good reminder. Like, hmm. <laughs> Pick this thing up right now. Exactly. We need more. We need a little bit of buffer in that habit usually. Well, thank you so much. I'm so glad you're here on Earth at the same time. Like mathematically, like it's always mind boggling to me that I get to meet these really cool humans and that we're actually alive at the same moment of time. And mm-hmm. you are exactly the right mom for your son. So I'm glad you're here. Thank you so much for having me. This is so lovely. Thank you for listening. And you've always been exactly the right good enough parent for your kids. You matter. Your self-regulation matters. Your needs matter. Your emotions and feelings matter. Let's practice noticing and naming them and helping our kids be better humans while we learn how to be better humans too. Thanks for listening. Let's keep calm and mother on together. Please leave a rating and review wherever you listen to this podcast. Peace.